You got your Bibles, open to Psalm chapter 59, and then Acts chapter 4. We'll continue our story today of the man uh, who was born crippled and healed. Psalm 59, and then Acts chapter 4. Um, as you're flipping that direction, our starting question today is this. Have you ever felt harassed before? You ever felt harassed before? Now, just for the record on harassed, there are some fairly easy uh, stories on this, and then there's some really, really dark ones. What we're going to go through today uh, goes through any point on the spectrum that you feel like you've been harassed today, whether, again, it's a very low end or whether it's something that's been very dark. I can tell you I'm going to start today with a low end, uh, and that has to do with the United States Census. I have felt a little bit harassed. I'm a so sociology grad and uh, a sociology degree. There is nobody who loves census statistics more than me. I'm just promising you, I love all the census stats. However, Autumn and I filled out our census report the day it came out, but our address is very, very similar to someone who apparently will not fill out the census, no matter how many people come by their house. So, because our address is the same, they knock on the door multiple times a week to try to get us to fill out the census. And yesterday, it went to a new level, because we're right here towards the end, the harassment went to a new level. They sat at the door and rang the doorbell over and over again until we finally came to the door. And so Autumn walks up and she's like, look, this is not us. We've already filled it out. The address is wrong. And she goes, I will walk you three blocks over to the person's house so that you can be there. And again, they went there and of course nobody was home. It's just the way that it works, right? But again, we felt harassed. I mean, you feel like somebody's after you. And it got to the point where this last month, anytime the doorbell would ring, like Autumn would look out the window and be like, it's the census. I just know it, right? They're coming after us again. They're not going to leave till we answer the door. I mean, I'm telling you, you kind of get that feeling. That's a very low level position. When you feel like somebody's after you because of your faith, I'm telling you, it creates this moment where you can't sleep, you can't think, and sometimes you can begin to think, maybe they could hurt me, maybe they could hurt someone else that I love, maybe they could hurt my faith, and all of a sudden you just have all these different thoughts that are running through your mind. If you're in a circumstance at work, at home, in your community, where you feel like somebody is after you to try to put you in your place, to try to demote you, to try to take your job away, to try to hurt you in some capacity spiritually, we get a great word from David in Psalm chapter 59, verses one through four. David is gonna teach us here a two-word prayer that is very, very powerful. Look at what it says here, Psalm 59. By the way, a little side note, um, if you ever see underneath a psalm, a set of small letters, a little subheading that's there, a lot of times that's insight into what was happening with David uh, or whoever's writing the psalm uh, as they were going through it. So here's what it says here. It says, when Saul had David, or when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. Now stop right there for just a minute. If there was ever a picture of persecution uh, in, uh, leading into this passage, it would be this one, right? Saul has sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. They are after him. David is nervous. He's scared. He's looking over his shoulder. That's what he's feeling as he writes what he's about to write. Look at verse 1. He says, deliver me. Underline and highlight deliver me. Two of the most powerful words you can put together in prayer. Deliver me, he says, from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Underline rise up. That's important there as well. Deliver me. Underline deliver me. He says it again here. From evildoers and save me from the bloodthirsty men. 
See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me. And no offense or sin of mine, O Lord. For no offense or sin of mine, O Lord. Verse 4, I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Now watch this. Arise to help me. Underline, arise to help me. Look in on my plights. Now stop there for just a minute. It starts off by David saying, God, deliver me. Now deliver is different than bless me or help me. Deliver means to make a way for me to pass through. If you want to write that down, you can. When you pray, God, deliver me. To deliver means to make a way for me to pass through. Have a picture of it this way, that there's a brick wall in between you and where it is that you not just want to go, but where you have to go. And here you are sitting there going, Lord, I cannot see how a way comes up. And yet I am praying, deliver me. Show me a way that I can pass through and continue on my journey, that I can keep moving forward in your name. He says that the enemies rise up against me. He says, Lord, I am praying that you will arise to help me and protect me. There are some of you that are going to be in circumstances with home, with work, with family, in the community, and you're going to sit there and go, I cannot move forward unless this brick wall is removed. The prayer that you pray at that point is the same prayer that David prays here. Lord, deliver me. Make a way where it seems like there is no way so that I can move forward. That word deliver is kind of a fun word too. We kind of reserve it in our culture for babies and the mail. You know what I mean? These are two things that you deliver, right? And the idea, the reason you don't just, you don't just bring someone the mail, you deliver it, right? Or you don't just bring someone a baby, it's delivered, is because they're very much as a wall, right? You deliver the mail, whether there's rain, sleet, snow, or hail, whether, you know, whatever, it runs like the mail. Now, just for that, there's all sorts of jokes you guys could make about that at this point, all right? But just know, again, the mail is delivered no matter what. It's, there's a point on one side of the wall, and you're going to make a way and find a way to get it delivered with the baby. Talk to Mary when you get to heaven one day, all right? Mary will tell you. It didn't matter if it was at a hospital, in the middle of the street, or in a manger in Bethlehem. The baby was going to be delivered. There was going to be a moment before, and there was going to be a moment after. The Lord makes a way for me to pass through. I can tell you moments in my life when I've prayed, God bless me or God help me. Those moments have been where there are a lot of options in front of me. Deliver me? Deliver me is the prayer that I typically reserved for the fact when it's like, Lord, there is one way to go. There is one way to pass. That passage is blocked. I need you to make a way here. Lord, please deliver me from my enemies. Help me move forward so that I can keep living for you. Best example, but I can't get a movie. better example uh, of, a, of a movie that illustrates this point better than George Bailey, uh, the, uh, the uh, character uh, that's played by Jimmy Stewart in what happens in his life. He comes up against a wall that he can't get past, and that is his uncle that he has employed that is inept to work anywhere else has lost $8,000. Well, again, back in the 40s, I mean, that would have been like a couple hundred thousand dollars. And so you've got this circumstance where he can't make the money, he can't achieve it on his own, so what is he do? He gets so scared and so afraid he goes to the top of a bridge and he's about to jump off and to take his life. He's scared to death, doesn't know what's going to happen, doesn't want to go to prison for something that he didn't do for a crime that someone else has committed, but he can't He can't take the fall for his uncle. And so he all of a sudden he thinks of taking his life. Well then his loved ones around him, including his wife and his friends, start to pray, Lord deliver George. Lord take care of him. Make a way. Please be with him this evening. And then all of a sudden it culminates in that sweet angel Clarence showing up and then talking George back into understanding the truth that his life really was wonderful. 
that God had blessed him in so many ways and that the Lord somehow would deliver him. Do you remember the scene when he runs back home deciding he wants to live again? There's a reason that NBC plays it every Christmas Eve, right? All of a sudden, he comes back up, he runs in the house, he looks at his kids, and he's so grateful. He sees again that old drafty house that the Lord had provided for him, and he's so grateful. He sees the bank examiner, and he sees the police officers about to take him to jail, and he's just so grateful to be alive in that moment. All of a sudden, his wife runs in and provides that moment of deliverance. She carries in a basket, sets it in the front. It turns out that she's called all of his friends, the people that he's helped all throughout the movie. And what happens? They all show up on Christmas Eve when they could have been with their own families. All of a sudden they show up and just start dropping money in the basket. He then gets a telegram from one of his friends that says, are you kidding? Heard you need money. I can loan you up to $25,000. The picture there more than three times the amount that he needed that he was going to take his life over. And you remember the scene? His jaws on the ground as the money pours in and you watch the man be delivered. Now listen, it's just a movie. But I've watched it happen so many times in my own life. And getting to be your pastor, I get to hear your stories. Our church is filled with deliverance, filled with people that God has brought through when there was no way, when the wall was in front of you. And somehow, some way, God made a way where there was no way. David says on those dark days, you cry out those two simple words in your spirit, God, deliver me. God, deliver me. So much so that even Jesus, when teaching the Lord's Prayer, says that we should pray, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Deliverance is a prayer that we are called to pray for by Jesus himself every time we pray. When the enemy is in pursuit of us, it's frightening. When the enemy is in pursuit of us, it catches our attention but it only has power that we give it over us. Our God is so much bigger. If you're taking notes, write this down. When the days are complicated and the haters awaken, look to God for help and deliverance. Let me say that again. When the days are complicated and the haters awaken, look to God for help and deliverance. He is the one who can make a way where there is no way. We sing that hymn here in our church too. I love getting to sing it. God, you made a way where there was no way and I believe I'll, let you, I'll see you do it again. Denver, without us talking about it, I thought about it the whole time I wrote this message. I send him my notes on Monday. Um, that is the song that we're gonna close with today so you'll get to proclaim it with your own lips today. It begs our big question. So what should you do when an enemy is pursuing you? When you're in a situation where you need to be delivered, when you feel like someone is against you? What should you do when an enemy is pursuing you? Well, we get a step-by-step breakdown of what that looks like in Acts chapter four, and we're gonna start in verse 13 today. Acts chapter four, we'll start where we left off last week in verse 13. As the lead up, remember, the story that we've been walking through is the story of Peter and John uh, and them healing a man who had been born crippled since birth. And this man had been brought to the temple gate called Beautiful. This is basically right outside of where the worship service is taking place. And we find out in the later part of this passage, this man is more than 40 years old. He's not just been coming to beg for help for days, weeks, months, 
months or years. He's been there for decades in this community, sitting right on the outside edge of coming in to worship Almighty God. As he's sitting up against the wall, as he's sitting up against the gate, Peter and John are coming in for a time of prayer. They see the man, and then Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He then offers him his hand, lifts the man to his feet. He jumps up, leaps up, and all of a sudden this man who had been crippled since the day he was born, his legs are strong, and they're walking in praising God with all the people. This causes such a stir that revival breaks out throughout the temple. Everyone gathers together to see the man that they had all walked past so many times. Once the name of Jesus had been given to him, all of a sudden he was made whole. Peter and John seize the moment. They stand up. They present the gospel. And in the middle of the sermon, the religious leaders pull them off the stage, throw them into prison, and then uh, they uh, throw them into the jail cell overnight, and then they plan to question them the next day. It's always important to note, this is the first time in history that the apostles have gone to jail for their faith. They had to be scared. They had to be nervous. And then all of a sudden, we have what happens in verse 7. The religious leaders look at them and they say, but what power or name did you do this? It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to them. It closes with verse 12 when Peter says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they may be saved. This is a quote that's given after Peter so many other times, but I truly believe this is the first time he ever preaches that statement. And then we get to verse 13 that we studied last week. After Peter gives his statement, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The passage we studied about last week, in the aftermath, the religious leaders are looking at him going, man, these guys are so courageous in what they're saying, but they've not been tested. They've not been to seminary school. I mean, they've not been to the, it doesn't seem like they have a religious agenda that they're pushing here. Something truly has taken place in them. And they go, all we know is that they've been with Jesus and that's the difference in them. But verse 14 is also powerful. Look at what it says. It says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, underline standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now don't just breeze past standing there with them. What had the man's problem been? He could not stand. He was crippled since birth. His legs didn't work. And so because of that, Peter and John are up there. Peter offers his statement. And then all of a sudden, they have John next to him and the man who's the miracle standing next to them, living the miracle right there in that moment. Now, scholars are in debate. It is possible that when they took Peter and John, that the man who had been born crippled had actually spent the night in jail with them. It's also possible that he was such a powerful miracle that they let him go home and called him as the star witness the next day. However it works, God has provided on a dark day for Peter and John the walking miracle standing right there next to them illustrating God's power. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should you do when an enemy is pursuing you? Number one, first and foremost, stay near to the work of God. Stay near to the work of God. In this circumstance, if Peter and John are considering at this point recanting what they have preached in order to not go to jail again, God has provided a walking, talking example, a walking, talking miracle right there next to them to remind them that they're not crazy. You ever just needed the reminder that you weren't crazy? You know what I mean? You ever just needed the reminder for why you made the decisions that you made if you truly held on to them 
that they were the right decisions to make when somebody else stood against you? When the enemy pummels us with distraction and discouragement, the most powerful thing that we can do is remember the miracles that he's put around us. Remember the things that he's brought us through. Stay near to the work of God, and it keeps us clear and encouraged. The enemy's plan since the very beginning is to try to get you to doubt. If he can get you to doubt, coax you away with just a little temptation for doubt, all of a sudden you go a little bit further away and then a little bit further away, and then before you know it, you've gotten lost. It's exactly what the serpent does in the garden. The serpent shows up and says, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now here's what's interesting. There was one tree that God said to stay away from. One tree. But the enemy, to get them on the board in conversation, goes, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He engages them in conversation. And then all of a sudden, it turns into theological debate. And before you know it, temptation has taken hold, and they are lost. It's the same way that a lion isolates a gazelle. The lion doesn't take down the whole herd. If the lion does that, you got to think about it. You ever had a refrigerator full of food? Okay. You don't just sit there and go, I got to cook all of this today, you know? You got a refrigerator full of food because you're storing it up so that you can go after it piece by piece. Lion doesn't go and kill the whole flock, that's his refrigerator. So, guess what? The lion isolates one gazelle from the herd, and the lion kills the one and then moves on to pick another off the next day. And usually it's whoever the weakest is in the herd, so he has to exert as little force as possible. That's the enemy. Scripture says he's a roaring lion, prowling around, seeing whom he may devour with the least amount of effort possible so that he can come back to the fridge later on. If you're taking notes, write this down. The world will always seek to water down discredit and dull the memory of a miracle because the miracle represents a constant reminder or constant demand for faith and change. Let me say it again. The world will always seek to water down, discredit, and dull the memory of a miracle because a miracle represents a constant demand for faith and change. We have got to come to a point where we hold on to God's truths and we remember what he has done for us in the past. I can tell you for me personally, it's why I've got things in my office that when I look at them, they remind me of times in my life that the Lord has acted on my behalf and delivered me through times of difficulty. Difficulty. For some of you, you've gone through big breakups. You've gone through losing a job. You've gone through the death of a family member, and there is some item, some picture, something, or listen, maybe even some relationship where you can go back and speak to that person or see that thing, and then you are reminded who you are, who you serve, and where you're going. Is it time you go check out one of those monuments? Is it time you have one of those conversations? God gave me a dear friend named Cleo Andrews, the one that I talked to you about early on, who said, man, if you gotta preach a thousand times a weekend, you preach a thousand times a weekend. Cleo and I met in a fight when we were in eighth grade. I'll, save, I'll spare you that story, but uh, our first time meeting is on the football field, and we were actually taking swings at each other. That's a true story. We ended up being the best of friends and have been now. Cleo turned 40 years old this week. I love him very, very dearly. Not too long ago, there was a week where some things were happening in my life, and I got very, very frustrated and angry. 
And I just happened to be in town where my friend Cleo lived. And I'll never forget, he called me. He said, come sit in my living room for just a few minutes. And I went and sat with him. And I'm telling you, the clouds parted. All of a sudden, the anger slipped away. I remembered who I was in Jesus Christ. And that meeting with him saved me from some really big, foolish mistakes that I could have made that week. Do you have those people in your life? that you can go to them, and just like the man who had been healed standing next to Peter and John, do you have those faith-filled, godly people in your life that can remind you who you are, who you serve, and where God is taking you, where you're going? You see, if the enemy can't destroy Jesus, he will seek to destroy the miracles that our God has done in his name. No greater example of that, by the way, than in John chapter 12. Save the spot in Acts 4. But flip over for an example in John chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. You realize the reason they put Jesus on the cross. When you couple together all the cool stuff that he had done, it scared the religious leaders and the Sadducees, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, political leaders, to death. You think about it in this form. They had just heard that Jesus was preaching these powerful messages and the crowds were growing and growing. They thought he was building an army. Not only that, the crowds are growing, but they hear that he can heal the sick that all it takes is Jesus to touch someone. And then a soldier that was hurt on the battlefield all of a sudden could spring back up, fully healed and ready to fight again. He also takes five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish and turns it into breakfast burritos or sandwiches for whoever it is that's eating with him. If he can do that with a sack lunch and feed five to 15,000, what's to stop him from feeding an army? The hardest thing for a military leader during this day and time to do. And then he finally crosses the line. In John chapter 11, he raises a man who had been buried in a tomb from the grave. They look at him and go, if he can heal the sick, he can heal wounded soldiers. If he can feed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish, he can feed an army. And if he can raise the dead, there is no way to stop him from trying to conquer Rome. They're thinking through it worldly, uh, through a worldly lens. He's going to conquer Rome, and then they go, we're going to lose our temple and lose our place. So they go after and make plans to kill Jesus, but not just Jesus. They also make plans to kill the miracle Lazarus. Look at what happens in verse 9. It says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but to see Lazarus, to see the miracle whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans, look at this, to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Stop right there for just a minute. It wasn't just about stringing Jesus up for being a menace. They also look and they go, we got to kill the miracle. We got to bury the paper trail. We got to make sure that nobody can gain faith from seeing the miracle miracles that Jesus has done. When someone is in pursuit of you, the goal is to separate you from the herd, separate you from the miracle, plant the seeds of doubt, and then it says in scripture, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The idea is to murder your faith. That's what they desire to do. It begs the question, is it time that you spent time around godliness? Is it time that you spent time around godliness? When you get isolated from the herd, you are in prime location to be ripped apart by a lion. Is it time you drifted back to godliness, that you made your way back to the herd so that then you could gain strength and gain security? It's courage. Let's keep moving. Now flip back to Acts chapter 4, and let's look at verses 15 through 20. So again, they're standing next to the man who's been healed. 
Now look at verse 15. It says, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, to leave the room, and then they conferred together. This is the religious leaders and the political leaders. What are we going to do with these men, they ask? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Underline warn these men. They say warn, that's not what they do. They're about to try to bully them. Look at what happens in verse 18. It says, then they called them in again, and what they've done is they've tried to put law to it. They commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now stop right there for just a minute. You've got to picture this in between the verses. So what happens is they take them away, and this is the point when Peter and John think they're going to kill us. They're going to kill us. We spoke our peace. We said what God told us to say, what the Holy Spirit gave us to say. And all of a sudden, they walk out of the room, and they're probably sitting there going, they're going to behead us. They're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us. But on the inside, the enemy has no power. The enemy has no power. Because the man is standing there up with them in front of the group, there's nothing that they can do. So they call him back in, and they command him, you need to stop speaking in this name. Can I tell you what happens if I'm Peter in that circumstance? I'm like, oh, they can't catch me. They can't punish me. There's nothing they can do to me. And all of a sudden in this moment, Peter's been filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 8. All of a sudden, there's an adrenaline shot of courage that comes into him. And look at what he says in verse 19. It says, but Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than to obey God. For we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. Underline, we cannot help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. Many of your translations will have the word compelled. The idea there is they go, the Holy Spirit has compelled us to say these things. And we're not making a promise that we can't do it again and you watch it. They've said this to the religious leaders realizing God is the one in charge. They can't make any decisions to hurt them at this point. They are in submission to God and not submission to these men. If you're taking notes, write this down. What do you do when an enemy is pursuing you? Number one, stay near to the work of God. It keeps you clear and encouraged. And number two, stay submissive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Stay submissive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, just for the record, I use that word submissive, very key here. Whenever you feel empowered, like Peter and John in that moment, where it looked like they were getting fired, it looked like they were going to lose everything, lose their lives, all of a sudden when they realize they don't, stay submissive. Don't get filled with rebellion. This city breeds it, doesn't it? If pride and not humility is at your core, then when you realize the supervisors or the people of this world can't do anything to you and they've threatened you, don't be the one that goes, <laughs> how the tables have turned, right? Don't be the one that then goes, you can't do nothing to me. You can't do anything to me. Because when you do that, that rebellious spirit shines out. If the enemy can't beat you, he will seek to distract you, discourage you, or just tempt you to blow up like a soda can so that then the world can look at you and go, oh, you can't fault their argument, but can you see how it's impossible to work with this person? All of a sudden, they've talked you into a corner. They couldn't beat your argument. They couldn't beat your God, but they certainly could entice your pride and expose the hate in your heart. Peter does very powerfully here. He and John 
Don't say that they will do something they cannot do. We can't submit to you in this, but we do submit to the Holy Spirit. When he calls for us to speak up, we will speak up. If you're taking notes, write this down. As consuming as it can be to focus on an enemy's pursuit, we must ultimately embrace God's sovereignty and leading. Let me say that again. As consuming as it can be to focus on an enemy's pursuit, we must ultimately embrace God's sovereignty and leading. My pastor in Grapevine said it this way, and I've always remembered it. He said, obey the Spirit promptly. Obey the Spirit promptly. If the Holy Spirit calls you in your gut to do something, a disciple's attitude is, yes, Lord, now what's the question? Lord, you tell me what to do. You lead, and I will follow. I've got a great story to tell you. It's one of my favorite waterfront stories, so some of you have probably heard it before. Um, the church, I can't remember if the church was a month old or if this was a month before we started. It was right at the very, very beginning. And uh, we've always had a P.O. box over at Southwest Station, just across the way, a few blocks from here. And uh, several of you in the church actually work at the post office, and so we're very grateful for you. Um, I'll never forget, one day, we drive a, a Tahoe that we've had uh, since uh, we moved to D.C. We got to pack all those kids in something. And so uh, we, got, uh, we got our three kiddos at that point, or four now, but we had three kids at that point, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and then Harper, the baby, was about, you know, was again somewhere between two months and six months old at that point. And a uh, little baby. And so we pull up over here at the post office, and there was a really long line that day. Shocker, all right? There was a really long line that day. So we're waiting in line, and I've got a guy in front of me who worked at DOT, and then a guy behind me named Jack Little, and Jack may be watching, uh, Jack Little, who, uh, is, uh, who was uh, working for some, a group of lawyers at that point. And so we're all there in line together, waiting to go in, and, uh, uh, or waiting to, waiting to get to, to the window. And then all of a sudden, you can see out the front windows, it just starts pouring rain. You'll know how it happens here in D.C. where, I mean, it's nothing, and all of a sudden, whoo, I mean, it just starts raining cats and dogs right there in an instant. That's what happens this particular day. It just starts pouring down rain. Well, we get to the end, and I look at the guys, and I go, hey, I know we've just been talking for like 10 minutes here in line, but do you all need a lift to work so that you're not soaking wet going, uh, going to work or going home today? And the DOT dude goes, yeah, I would really like that. He goes, I work in accounting. He goes, I'd be soaking wet the whole rest of the day. He said, that'd be really great. And you all know, again, it's about six blocks in between DOT and, and then where the, where the post office is. He goes, I'd love it. The other guy, Jack, is like, eh, I don't know. Ride with strangers? My parents told me not to do that, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to do that with a guy I just met at the post office. Well, sure enough, we get in the car with the DOT guy. He climbs in, and he's like, whoa, you have your whole family in this car. We did. My wife and then my three of my kids, three kids in the car. He goes, whoa, you have your whole family here. And I said, yeah. I said, well, we'll just give you a lift. We get to talk, and he goes, hey, I already go to a church. But he said, this was really cool. Well, we'd been praying that God would provide moments like that where we could connect with people and, again, hopefully uh, get to build a church here and so get to, get to pastor a church here. And so um, we drop him off, and then we're in front of DOT, it's just a few blocks away. And Autumn goes, my wife goes, where are we going now? And I go, I think we're supposed to go back to the post office. And she goes, what? I said, there was another guy in line. I said, I just feel in my gut, I'm compelled, that we're supposed to go back to the post office. And she goes, you're crazy. He's going to think you're nuts. And I said, I just can't explain it. We're just supposed to go back. And so she goes, all right. And we had done a lot of this crazy stuff, especially in the beginning, because we didn't know any of you. I mean, what's in this room is so far beyond our wildest dreams of what the church could ever be. 
So we make the drive back, and sure enough, under the awning is Jack Little. And so we pull up, and I go, hey, any chance it's still pouring down rain? Any chance you still need a lift? And he kind of looks, and he shakes his head, and the windows are tinted, so he can't see what's inside the car. And he goes, all right. He goes, I don't want to be soaking wet the rest of the day. He tries to climb in the front seat, but my wife's sitting in the front seat. And so then I go, you got to get in the back. He goes, huh? He opens up and he goes, whoa, there's three kids back here. And Autumn's like, yep, and me too. Waves over there. And then he goes, I guess you're not a serial killer if you brought your kids with you, all right? I don't know if the statistics back that up, but that was at least what he thought in the moment. So he gets in the car. He said, what are you up here to do? And I said, I'm actually up here to pastor a church. So we're trying to start a church in Navy Yard. He begins to talk about how he had grown up in a faith-filled family. And then all of a sudden, it starts this conversation. He starts coming to the church. And then over at the youth and kids space across the street, the overflow venue where some of you are watching, up against the wall, that, uh, that far east wall, um, one of the weeks that we were doing service, Jack and I got to pray. I got to pray with Jack to receive Christ right there in that room on a journey that started at the post office. Jack, I enjoyed our conversation this week. He's back in Minnesota for a time during the pandemic. Jack, I think of you often, and I love you very, very much, my friend. You are a monument to faith in my life. And anytime the devil begins to plant seeds of doubt or discouragement in my heart, I think of you, and I'm reminded that God will take care of the future. I share that monument with you today. It's a pretty cool thing when we remember we stay near the work of God. And then when we say yes to the Holy Spirit, God knows everything moving all at the same time in his great sovereignty. And that's when the coolest stories come together. By the way, um, it begs this question. Are you allowing your faith to be bullied? Are you allowing your faith to be bullied? In the circumstance of the enemy, the enemy has no power that you don't give him. Let me say that again. The enemy has no power that you don't give him. And now let's close today. Look at Acts chapter 4, and let's read verses 21 and 22. I love these verses. Keisha, I just figured out that your mom's sitting next to you. I love that. Good to see you, mom. You can't take her. We'll talk about that later. All right, <laughs> moving on. Verse 21, it says, After further threats... I want you to circle, highlight, and underline after further threats. The religious leaders had lost the argument. There is nothing that they could do to win, but the mudslinging continues. I mean, if there is more DC verse, I don't know what it is, right? They've already lost, but the mudslinging continues. Now, here's the picture. In the verses that we're about to read, they don't allow the words that are being spoken against them to have any power because they've already won. Their eye is on the prize. Look at what happens again in this verse. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. They could say nothing about it because they had walked past this man for decades. They had seen his need for decades. There was no charlatan move here. If there had been, they would have called it out right here in this moment. But the man is standing right there next to him, illustrating the miracle just by breathing and just by standing on his own two feet. So guess what happens? They look at them and they go, we're going to keep bullying you. We're going to keep slamming you. 
We're going to keep making fun of you behind your back and to your face. We're going to keep trying to belittle you and try to belittle the message. But the truth is, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The threats and the bullying do not change the fact that a man was healed. Let me say that again. The threats and the bullying do not change the fact that a man was healed. He is a living, breathing, standing example of God's greatness. What should you do when an enemy is pursuing you? Number one, stay near the work of God. Number two, stay submissive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And number three, stay strong to the finish. Stay strong to the finish. There are some of you in this room who are doing your best to stay near to the work of God. You're doing your best to stay submissive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, but you're tired of people picking on you. You're tired of the hate that that coworker spills on you. You're tired that you post something to Facebook or you post something to Twitter and you already know that one hater is gonna come out and say something before you ever even move forward, right? You know it before you hit post that that hater's gonna show up and say what they say. Remember that with Jesus, we win. Keep your eye on the prize. All they're trying to do is distract you, discourage you, slow you down when the truth is they're fighting a losing battle. In waiting tables, I waited tables for four and a half years at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster, all right? Okay. In fact, there are actually some waterfront bingo cards floating around out there. Amanda Macon, shout out to you today. She made waterfront bingo cards, and a Red Lobster mention is on every card. And so uh, for some of you, bingo, all right? Don't stand up and yell it in the service, but just know I know who you are, all right? <laughs> Strong to the finish, I always think of waiting tables. There's a term that you have in serving, okay, that's called in the weeds, okay? In the weeds means that a whole bunch of people came in at the same time, whole bunch of tickets go back to the kitchen at the same time, and you have potentially on the horizon a whole bunch of really angry people because they have to wait a long time for their food or a long time to get help. Some of you servers in this room, you know what I'm talking about, former servers. That's the worst. In the weeds is where it's so bad that you sit there and you go, it might be better just to quit at this moment. It might be better just to give up. Can I tell you what my trainer said to me that it was so true in four and a half years of waiting tables? No day is a good day to quit when you're in the weeds. You fight through, you push through, and then if you want to quit at the end of the shift, you can quit at the end of the shift, but you never just walk away because it gets difficult, because it gets hard. You pray for deliverance, and you just keep moving. You just keep moving. When we pray for God to deliver us, one of the prayers that comes alongside that prayer is very simple, and it's God give me strength. God give me strength is a prayer that a lot of people just tag on to prayers that they're praying without realizing the power of what they're asking for. God give me enough strength to press through this moment and to make it through to the other side. We were reminded of this in our men's group this week with a young man named Jordan Long. Jordan's our chairman of deacons, first guy I've ever baptized here at Waterfront. He shared a very powerful story with us and reminded us this week to pray and ask God for strength, to make it through the day, to not give up even though we feel like we're in the weeds. When we pray that prayer, God is faithful to provide. Thanks for listening today, guys. 
What a cool story that we're going through with Peter and John. It's about to get even better. The fallout, you would think you could just heal a guy and that everything would be cool, all right? It's not. I'm telling you, it changes the world. It shakes everybody's faith and belief because the Lord is expanding what they're navigating. Thanks for listening today. Don't tune out. The most important part of our service these next few moments, let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, We call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. Over the years, I've had people come up and ask me, Pastor Zach, when is the time of public prayer in our worship service? And I always tell them it's a little bit sneaky. It's at the end of the service. It's during this time that we call our reflection time. Because the goal is that the Holy Spirit could have spoken to your heart through the songs or through the sermon. And during this time, the Holy Spirit would impress upon your heart something that needs to change in your life or someone that you need to pray for and that this would be your time to do so. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's time that I go back to the herd. It's time that I spend some time around godliness and that I'm reminded in my faith of the miracles that God has done. With nobody looking around, maybe that's a conversation with a person. Maybe that's to hold that Bible that you've marked up since you were a kid or that one of your parents or grandparents marked up. Maybe it's to hold it close to your chest and to remember faith. Maybe it's to remember a situation like I do with Jack Little. With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. It's time that I get near godliness again, that I remember the miracles and what God has done. If that's powerful, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. It's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you for that commitment. I'm going to pray for you. But if that was you, just pray, God, give me courage to pursue godliness this week. God, give me courage to pursue godliness this week. Second, Maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would stay submissive to the voice of the Holy Spirit? That even if it's a kick to go back for someone you met at the post office, or if it's a kick to stay in the break room and have a conversation just a little bit longer, or to make a phone call or send a text message, with nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray I'd stay submissive to the Holy Spirit so that I could stay in the channel of God's plan. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. That's powerful, so many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you for that. I'm gonna pray for you, but if that was you, I wanna encourage you, just pray this simple prayer. God, wherever you lead, I'll go. God, wherever you lead, I'll go. And then, last but not least, Maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, I know that I've already won in Jesus' name. I already know that the opposition has lost, but they keep slinging mud. They keep saying things to my face or behind my back. They keep trying to threaten me. They keep trying to distract me. I'm in the weeds, and I don't want to be there anymore. I want God to deliver me. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, I just want to pray that God would give you strength today. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray God would give me strength that I might finish this race. 
If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. I see you. I see you. I see you. Y'all can put your hands down. My heart goes out to you. Pray for strength. Don't let it just be a fleeting prayer. Realize what you are asking Almighty God for. God, deliver me and give me strength that I might finish the race. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you so much for this day and for your blessings, and thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, thank you for the faith and the courage of Peter and John. And Lord, thank you for the courage of the man who'd been born crippled to stand right there next to them. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those who are here today that need to spend time around godliness like a fire in their gut, like a fire in their bones. I pray that you would draw them towards that godliness to have those conversations with godly people, to to dig deep into scripture, to hold those spiritual monuments in their hands and remember the things that you've done for them in the past. I pray that you would draw them back to the herd that they might not be devoured by the evil one. And Lord, for those who need to submit to the Holy Spirit, I pray that their attitude would be, yes, Lord, now what's the question? That they would truly realize their life is a blank check in your hands and that they would say yes, even if it was to go back to the post office. And Lord, for those who need strength and deliverance today, provide for them in Jesus' name and give them great testimonies of how awesome you are. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray.